Welcome to New World of Work, a podcast exploring the new frontier of the modern workforce. I'm Rhys Black, Head of Remotes at Oyster, a global people operations platform making it easier than ever to build a brilliant team on an international scale. On New World of Work, we'll hear from some of the world's best and brightest people and culture experts on cutting edge topics that people operations professionals need to hear today, all through a global lens. Join us as we navigate this new world of work together and learn more about each other along the way. From terminations to internal conflicts, the workplace has been rife with, shall we say, less than pleasant conversations. Add a global pandemic and the shift to a completely remote workforce to the mix, and you're bound to run into a communication breakdown or two. Navigating this new world of work is full of unanticipated challenges that are stretching companies beyond their limits. The shift to remote work has given people ops professionals a run for their money as they experiment with new tools, approaches and methods to keep teams happy and communication in constant flow. Today on New World of Work, I'm sitting down with Kimberly Bringus, Leadership Development Partner Lead at Drizzly, to discuss the best ways to approach difficult conversations and conflicts while working remotely. In her role, Kimberly works with leadership to identify development opportunities as their teams scale and coaches leadership on their pain points and growth opportunities, both for them as individuals, as well as themes she's identified across teams. To kick off the interview, Kimberly shared more about Drizzly, her role within the organization and her experiences with remote work throughout her career. Drizzly is a third-party platform-based business model that enables alcohol commerce by connecting established brick-and-mortar retailers with consumers. But in short, basically, we act as a connection point between consumers and their local liquor stores uh, to be able to get beer, wine, and spirits delivered to their home in under 60 minutes. My experience really has just been in tech my entire career. So I've been in tech for over 10 years now, which is crazy to think about sometimes that I've you know been on this journey and I've been in people operations the entire time, but I've definitely pivoted along the way. So I actually started as an office manager, pivoted into ops, ended up finding some good footing in HR. And then with Drizzly, I was able to move into the org development space and specifically focus on leadership development. I've been doing the hashtag remote life for over seven years now. And I happened upon it in my last company um, at Olark, specifically at Drizzly, when we say remote first, really we're looking at giving people the flexibility to work in the most engaging environment for them. So we do have two offices. There's going to be an office rollout because we are still trying to adhere to safety protocols and keep everybody safe. But we are moving towards that hybrid model. So we're going to have a mix of office and remote and essentially giving folks the flexibility and the autonomy to choose which environment works for them. So if that's 100% remote, great. If that's also going into an office some of the time and that's available to you, great. Um, A big part of it though, especially on the people operations side is while we say yes, flexibility, like choose what works for you, it's also working with our leaders to ensure that we are setting employees up for success. So that's everything from the policies that we roll out, our best practices that we share, just ensuring that folks have the resources that they need to actually do remote well. By moving towards a hybrid working model, 
Drizzly is empowering their team to make their own choices about where and how they want to work. As someone that's been working remotely for seven years, Kimberly was no stranger to the lifestyle when the pandemic hit. But she explained that the switch through working from home was somewhat of a culture shock for some of the members of the team. Like it did for most companies and individuals across the globe, the pandemic brought about a whole slew of changes to the status quo for Drizzly. As a result, Kimberly was presented with several new challenges to work through in her role and an even greater need to think outside of the box. Where Drizzly was prior to the pandemic is they were actually very office focused. So very strong office culture. And as we were in it and recognized and leveraged a lot of the benefits of remote first, it became part of our long-term strategy to be remote first. So it's quite, quite the change. Culture is, is an interesting piece and how remote first changes culture. It can, it happens in a myriad of ways. Now for Drizzly, since we were very office focused, moving to that remote first mentality, it was changing essentially the way that we work. So before there was this idea of like, let's get everybody in a room, let's all have a meeting. And when, especially when I first joined about a year ago, it was very, very meeting heavy. And so there was a lot of intentionality of frankly questioning the way that we were doing work because just because something served us when we were in an office or served us, you know, as also another big shift, we were moving from, you know, scrappy startup to sustainable growth company. A big part of that was challenging the way that we work. And just because something got us to a certain stage, was it still serving us? And so one of the things I was super surprised and delighted by was when I first joined, when I started asking these questions around, how are we thinking about this with the remote first lens? Are these practices serving us? How can we change and evolve things? These questions were very welcomed, both by the people team that I, I partnered with and also my leaders. So there was a genuine curiosity and a genuine willingness to engage with me on some of these hard questions. And so it actually led to some, some pretty significant changes. A big challenge was my leaders even understanding how to partner with me. And so when you're moving from, you know, that scrappy startup to sustainable growth company. And also at the time, Drizzly was growing super fast. So we were in a very fortunate position when the pandemic hit that we experienced a huge demand for our services, which means we needed to add headcount. We needed to add it fast. And we are still growing pretty rapidly. And I really give the Drizzly team a lot of credit in terms of where they were making their investments. And a big investment they made was actually in the people team. So a role line, like a leadership development partner, the fact there's three of us <laughs> versus just one. And this role usually comes in around, you know, the 500 to 1,000 per person marker. They were planning for the future. So a big challenge kind of right off the bat of engaging my leaders was establishing that trust and rapport to really then challenge the ways that they were thinking. So that was everything from, you know, how are you growing your skill set as a leader? What are the areas that you want to develop in? How can you show up well for your team, especially since we were experiencing, you know, significant changes as a company? Because in order for the teams to be able to thrive, they need their leaders to show up well. So a big part of my role coming in is coaching our leaders on thinking about what is the team you have currently? Where do they need to evolve? How do we get there? How do we set them up with opportunities? So they're feeling anchored in their role, excited about their work, and they actually see, see long-term career progression for themselves. So making that investment in my role and also just in general growing out the people team, we've added quite a few folks. Like we brought our HR department, we continue to grow out TA, we added a people analyst, 
we're investing in the future. And essentially, they invested in the department that supports and invests in the rest of the company. One of the big challenges that came up on the tech team side was around shifting mentality from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset. When you're in that startup mode, you're just trying to keep the lights on. You're trying to keep people paid. And so kind of your tactics of how you approach your work is in that scrappy mentality. You're focused on, well, we don't have these things, so we're going to have to make decisions, like hard decisions this way, or we're going to have to put our resources here, but not here. Moving to that sustainable growth company, now it's moving towards that abundance mindset. What do we have? What is at our disposal? What resources do we have? How do we leverage that? So for some of our leaders that have been here, you know, for a good chunk of Drizzly's, you know, lifetime, that can be kind of a painful switch of, you know, how do we do that? And then also when there's a whole bunch of change happening is leaders want to be there for their team. They want to be open. They want to, you know, have the door open for, for conversations. But sometimes what can end up happening is a lot of venting. And venting, while it's really great, it's not good for the person on the receiving end of it. It's actually a very de-energizing space to be in. And also it kind of gives the person a little bit of a pass to not actually address the conflict itself. So a big part of it was working with my leaders of how do you pivot that conversation from just kind of giving people space to air out their frustrations to, okay, let's unpack that a little bit. Let's kind of get to the root of like, what's really behind this and help them, I like to call it unpack their own brain. So by modeling those behaviors in our coaching sessions and then teaching them how to do that with their own teams, then they're shifting of, yes, conflict is something that's normal. It's going to happen. We're going to have it. But once we kind of get through the layers of it, we actually need to pivot and actually move towards action. And so just that in itself is an incredibly big shift to move from that space of, oh, I give people space to like tell me what's on their mind to they tell me what's on their mind, but then I help them figure out how to redirect and pivot and move forward. Unpacking your brain sounds like something we could all do more often. Shifting our perception of conflict from a problem to a normal part of work life sounds like a subtle yet powerful reframe that would instantly help to diffuse the stress of a conflict situation. Very often, it's not the situation at hand that's the problem. It's the way we're perceiving it internally. This is why Kimberly suggests viewing conflict as an opportunity to bond with others and learn about our coworkers on a personal level. She shared a few helpful tips for approaching conflict while working remotely or in any working environment. Seeing conflict as an opportunity was actually a very recent professional development for myself. So I actually used to be very conflict averse. I didn't like conflict. I didn't want to engage with it. It made me super nervous. But over time, I realized, especially with the roles that I was choosing to be in, this was a big part of when I pivoted into HR is I need to engage with tough conversations. It's important not to let these things fester and get out of control. And so when I started shifting my mentality, I started seeing it as an opportunity because when I did have in-depth conversations with folks, I learned a lot about them because the core root of conflict is just a difference of perspective. And one of my neighbors said something to me once, which has really stuck with me. And he said, sometimes I forget people are as complex as I am. And when we unpacked that a little bit, um, what it really came down to was we have super rich histories, right? We have a plethora of experiences, interactions, people that have come in and out of our lives. And sometimes it's easy 
to come into a conversation leading with our own experiences and forgetting somebody else has an entirely rich experience all their own. So what essentially conflict does is you're getting a, a sense of like, there's a disconnect here of some sort and being curious and wanting to actually explore because a lot of times we lead with our own experiences. So we assume we know what the other person's intention is. And a lot of us were wrong. And it gave me the opportunity to learn about them, learn about their perspective, their experiences that led them to whatever that conclusion was. And by providing that space with curiosity, then the person is welcomed in the conversation and it moves from this feeling of like, I need to win. I need to like have the upper hand on this person to, I want to meet this person where they're at. I want to learn about them. I want to engage because as human beings, that's why we, why we've survived as a species for as long as we have, because we value connection. We need each other. And conflict is a way to remember like, oh, Folks can come from things from different angles, but that doesn't mean we can't come together and talk to each other and learn from each other as well. So once I started shifting that, in a weird way, I almost get a little excited when I have a conflict where I'm like, ooh, this person and I don't agree. I wonder why. And wanting to like dig in with that person, it just becomes much more energizing for everybody involved. I think in general, conflict is hard because we're never taught to be good at it. And then what essentially remote did is it wasn't that remote caused these conflicts. It just made the conflicts that much harder. So I think of it in terms of if you were to put someone in a car who has never driven before and say, drive the car, that's kind of like your baseline conflict skills. And then as this person's trying to figure out how to drive the car, it starts raining. So that would be like the pandemic level switch to remote first. So essentially folks are not even set up to engage with conflict. And then there's just all of these additional tensions from a remote that one of the biggest things I tell folks is the reason it feels hard is because it is. So kind of the baseline is active listening. So especially when you're in a people operations role, in order to actually gain traction with someone is having them feel heard and not just feel heard, understood. Now, you don't necessarily need to agree with their point of view, but it's very important that at a baseline, somebody feels like, oh, Kimberly understands where I'm coming from. She understands kind of the, the core thing that's bothering me. And then from there, which I think is a step that gets missed a lot, is not, not just listening, but also being able to actively check your own ego. Ego is this very interesting thing that actually prevents us from really hearing someone because, for instance, if... You know, I'm coming from a space of, well, I feel like this person doesn't think I'm very competent in my role. They don't think I'm really smart to begin with. I'm going to put a coloring on anything they say. So I'm bringing that into the conversation. Their actions, what they're doing, may actually have no intention at all of doing that. But I'm already thinking, oh, I need, I need to get my defenses up. So it's being able to ask yourself, like, what baggage are you potentially bringing into this conversation with someone that could be preventing me from actually hearing them? And then the other thing is just being able to agree on the problem. A lot of times I found it so fascinating, especially when I would mediate discussions and people were clearly talking past each other, is can you actually agree on the problem you want to solve or problems that you're seeing? And the ones that I always found the most funny or what I called aggressively agreeing, 
where they were essentially saying the same thing, but but saying it different enough where it sounded like two different problems. So that's kind of a big one too, because if you can't agree on the problem you jointly want to solve, then you're going to want to solve for different things and you're not going to actually move forward. And then kind of circling back to just seeing the conflict as an opportunity, like this is an opportunity for me to problem solve with somebody else. We can, we are in this together. So instead of it being like a me versus the other person, it's, this is a partnership. We can move towards something together, but if we're not hearing each other, if we're letting our egos get in the way and we can't even agree on the thing we want to solve, then that opportunity is going to be lost. Active listening is one of Kimberly's keys to helping team members feel seen, heard, and understood. But taking a step back, how can we as people operations professionals know when it's appropriate to step in and help to manage a conflict at all? Is it always the role of people operations to get involved and defuse a conflict? Or are there some situations where it's better to hang back and allow the team to resolve it themselves? And that's something that people operations folks, it's a fine tuning process to figure out when do you get involved? When do you let folks kind of handle things on their own? I would say in general, it's always a good thing for the parties to try to talk to each other first, because one of the first questions I usually ask if someone's coming to me for a coaching session or potential mediation is I usually leave with, what have you tried? Because what you don't want to happen in a people ops role is kind of people seeing you as like the middle person to go to that's going to solve their problems. And so essentially I'll lead with, what did you try? You know, what conversation happened? What was the result? And kind of talk them through that. Because if you're not putting at least a little bit of effort on the beginning, you're not as invested in actually solving the conflict with the other person. And so by kind of leaning with, what have you tried? Okay, now that that didn't seem to work, let's kind of talk through some other strategies and then point them back to the other person. Because at the end of the day, I don't wanna be kind of playing telephone. I think that's a real skill of a seasoned people operations person of knowing when to come in, when to coach, when to guide, but then also when to pull back and direct the parties back towards each other. Because at the end of the day, they need to solve that problem together. You're just more of a guide to help get that conversation started or help them sort of remove some of those blockers that might be getting in the way. So those big changes being moving to remote first, that takes a whole new set of skills to be able to do conflict well Just being a high growth company still, we are adding a lot of people every single day. And then also the change of the making an investment in the people team. So on the L&D side, what they really helped put into place was the foundational elements that would allow us to address conflict well. So we have what's called the DLP, our Drizzly Leadership Principles, which are essentially a guiding and common language of what we expect out of people and their behaviors. And then this was paired with trainings. So we have everything from having, they've implemented manager training, which actually touches on these pieces of, you know, how to engage well in one-on-ones, how to have difficult conversations. But then we also add trainings called difficult conversations and open that up to the rest of the team. So having those foundational pieces, that common language, the training, and then third part was the leadership development partner role, which is my role of actually working with leaders on that. So it's a multi-pronged approach that a Big reason why it was able to happen is they made investments in the expertise of the people team to actually be able to grow that function. We're not 100% of the way there yet. And also I'd like to point out, you never solve conflict. Like it's never gonna go away. 
If anything, our intentionality is being able to put in the common language, the foundational pieces, the training, and the ongoing touch points to help people grow that skill set over time because it's just something that takes time to develop. It's no different than any other skill, learning a new language, um, learning to play a sport. It just takes time. Um, but having kind of those different elements in place enables folks to actually be set up to do it well. Essentially, I have ongoing coaching sessions with our leaders and a big part of our session is tell me what's going on with your teams. Tell me what you're, you're struggling with. And initially it was me doing a lot of the asking and now it's more that we have that established rapport. They actually reach out to me more proactively to say, hey, this thing is going on. I need to unpack my brain here. So it's first helping them figure out what story are you telling yourself about this conflict um, and sometimes I respectfully need to challenge the reality of like, what if this wasn't true? What if this actually wasn't that in person's intention? Um, what if, you know, really this is the best route to go down? Let's, let's kind of grapple with that a little bit. And a big part too is, especially if they're bringing me specific conflicts of engaging with other people, it's the reinforcement of there is never a right time to address a conflict. Because usually when people are like, oh, it's just not the right time. I, it's not a good time to have this discussion. And I'm like, that's more of a procrastination tactic. Likely what this is, is you're just uncomfortable having those conversations. So a big focus of, of my role is getting my leaders comfortable with that so that they can model really good behaviors for their teams. In addition to these tips and insights, Kimberly also mentioned a concept called the six core triggers or hooks which can help us understand how conflict starts and why people feel threatened by certain situations. I had the pleasure of working with Mark Burrell. He is an amazing mediator. He introduced me to the concept of the six core triggers, or they're also called hooks. And essentially what it is, is it's the six core pieces that people find threatening when they're in a conflict. So it's their emotional response. And the reason these feel very powerful is they're tied to values. So the six core triggers are competence, when you perceive someone is questioning your intelligence or your skill set, inclusion, when someone appears to be excluding you in some way, that could be from a group, an event, a committee. There's autonomy, when somebody appears to be trying to control you, kind of impose their will on you, threaten your feeling of self-reliance. Status, when you perceive someone threatening your tangible assets, so that could be your power, your position, your decision-making ability, re reliability, when someone perceives someone is questioning your trustworthiness, your dependability, and then integrity, when someone appears to be questioning your morals or your ethics. And these have very strong reaction, but what's really interesting is I did an exercise with some of my leaders where I had them rank these of which ones would bother them the most and which ones would bother them the least. And then when we shared those lists, what was super fascinating was how much variation there was of what people tend to care about. And so this added a really interesting kind of lens to this idea as well, because a core of the frustration is you may be seeing somebody's actions as dismissive, that something is really, really bothering you, but they don't seem to have the same level of urgency. But what it actually might be is they don't hold that value as strongly as you do. So that's always something to keep in mind, too, is, again, we all have our own rich histories. Remembering and checking if you're bringing in your own perceptions, experience, ideas and values into a situation and forgetting the other person is doing the same thing. 
I would say some common themes that I would see is, is Drizzly really cares about collaboration, really cares about working well together. So the inclusion one definitely would come up. Now, it's not somebody said, would say something as plainly as, I feel like my inclusion trigger you know, is happening right now. It wasn't, you know, kind of that black and white, but more along the lines of some of the behaviors. So for instance, Drizzly used to be very meeting heavy. So it was a, let's get in the room, like, let's all talk this out. That doesn't exactly gel with a remote first setting. That can actually cause a lot of tensions because video call fatigue is very real. But the reason, even though most folks felt like they had too many meetings, they also resisted letting go of some of those meetings because they were afraid of losing important information that would be covered during that call. So then it became this question of, okay, we want this feeling of inclusion. Having this many meetings is draining. What are some of the async practices we could create that would give folks the feeling that they are getting the information they need to do their jobs, make the decisions, and then have them feel okay stepping away? from that. And so one of the experiments we tried, which was kind of a mixed bag, but we had a meeting detox and audit week. And so for a week, we asked folks as much as possible, cancel as many meetings as you can, just to sort of challenge the idea of like, do I really need this meeting space? Could this be replaced with async practices? Now I say mixed bag because a lot of folks tried it out. They actually liked having less meetings. I mean, who wouldn't? But the one thing that was missed a little bit was the intentionality of going into that week was folks feeling like, I don't want to feel like I want to miss out. And to honor that of absolutely, we need to give you the information you need to do your job well, make decisions, connect well with others. At the same time, are there ways we could be leveraging other tools, other spaces that are not having you in, you know, three, four, five, six hours worth of meetings every day? So this exercise was actually part of a remote training that I did for um, my tech leaders. But what I think it did was give some common language. So even though they're not saying these words, if I were to bring them up, like, oh, it kind of sounds like you're feeling like your autonomy is being a little bit threatened, like you're not feeling like you have decision-making capabilities. Having that language, I call it naming the thing. Like if you can name the thing that's bothering you and have the word of like, yes, absolutely, I was not feeling included. Or, you know, my confidence, like it seems like this person doesn't think I know what I'm doing. And so we may not even just use those words like status and reliability per se, but more importantly, the thing that came out of it was that concept of let's name the thing that's bothering you. Because every time I've had a coaching session, and I've even had this with, with my own coach, is by having somebody help you put words to what's bothering you, it, be, it stops being this like ambiguous kind of feeling and it's more concrete. You're like, oh, this is what's bothering me. And once you get to that stage, then you're actually able to move towards, all right, now that I know what the thing is that's bothering me, what can I actually do? And then that becomes an interesting stage too of like, is there something I can do? Or is this something that's not in my control? It's not in my power. I don't have decision-making here, for instance. Can I just come to terms with the fact that even though this bothers me, this is not my decision to make and I need to trust the other person to make that decision. So that's always the interesting thing too of like, even though you can get to a conclusion of what's bothering you, it also is that stage of then engaging with, do I actually have control and power to actually do something here? And sometimes the answer is no. And being able to be okay with inaction as well. Identifying the problem at hand and coming to terms with your feelings about it can be a huge step forward in resolving conflicts. Once it comes to the surface, it could be much easier to come up with a plan without being clouded by all consuming emotions. 
Working remotely can make it somewhat more difficult to open up to your colleagues and have these candid conversations. Kimberly has some tips for managing miscommunications and being more intentional about the way we interact with our coworkers online. If I were to narrow it down for what my vision for the Drizzly team in terms of addressing conflict, there's kind of two big pieces that myself I'm focusing on as well as, as the people team is a culture of healthy conflict and continuous feedback. So what that means is healthy conflict is just seeing conflict as that opportunity. But a big part of conflict is that continuous feedback. So seeing out, you know, conflict is a way to connect, to engage, to talk with folks, and then also just give feedback along the way, both positive and constructive, where it feels just normal. Because also in a remote setting, what can happen is that feedback can get lost. Like you have a million Google Docs, like, and I have just information in all different, different spaces. So it's sometimes finding ways to create kind of like a one-stop shop of where that feedback and that information lives so people can reference back to it as well. Because the more you're able to give each other feedback, engage more regularly with conflict, essentially what, is it, what it does is create a more innovative and collaborative work environment. Data analysis and storytelling. So we have an amazing people analyst, Trisha. Shout out, she, we call her our data queen. Um, and she has put together some great foundational data sets for us. And we're starting to do, we're now going to be moving into our third QBR, uh, so quarterly um, business reports, where we are continuously leveraging data to help create narratives for our leaders. Because sure, you can throw data at people, but giving some context or giving some lenses, give them, giving them a story to actually humanizing the data is important. And then a big part of why that is critical is we are growing still substantially. Um, we're adding headcount every single day and we don't wanna lose some of those narratives along the way and data can be a really good way to do that. I will say I don't see data as like the be all end all truth. It just gives us an indication of where to pay attention to. So being able to continue those pieces, but then also work with our leaders to consistently set actions in accordance to what this data is telling us. Kimberly's view on conflict in the workplace has inspired me to reflect on my daily interactions and see things in a new light. And I hope it did the same for you. Here are a few key takeaways that really stood out for me from the information she shared. The daily frustrations we all encounter at work aren't necessarily all bad. Making a simple mindset switch to reframe conflict as an opportunity instead of a disturbance can help us all find a more positive approach to resolution and understand one another on a deeper level. Creating a culture of continuous feedback is key in a remote work environment or in any working environment for that matter. The more we encourage one another to engage in an ongoing dialogue based in honesty, the more innovative and collaborative we will all be at work. Finding small ways to connect with our coworkers, especially while working remotely, can be a powerful way to show empathy and sensitivity towards others. You'll rarely regret checking in with a colleague to see how they're doing, and it can truly be a powerful yet simple tool for building authentic connections. Thank you for listening to New World of Work, the podcast exploring the new frontier of the modern workforce through an international lens. We hope this episode served to expand your horizons and open your mind to a new perspective. 
Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so that we can reach more listeners. I'm your host, Reese Black. See you next time.